Hello and welcome to Texas State Choirs today. This is our second episode of our second season and we are so happy to have with us Dr. Ralph Allwood from London, England. He is the former presenter of Eton College, and he's going to tell us what that is in a little while. Uh, and he's started several uh, singing programs for youth in London. Uh, Ralph, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been great so far. So, so since most of our audience is undergraduate, I always start each interview with talking about your undergraduate experience. What was special to you? What, what are perhaps a story that stands out or something that was important to you during your undergraduate career? Well, important for me was the fact that I managed to choose music when I started <laughs> off with mathematics and physics. And um, I was asked to choose a subsidiary subject and they said, and I said, I'd like to choose music. And they said, you can't. Um, unlike American universities where you can do a really broad first year, which is very impressive. And I said, oh, all right, I'll do numerical maths. And I went to the back of the queue as a 19-year-old and I thought, no, I want to do music. I'm damn well going to do music. So I joined the back of the line and um, eventually got to the front and said, I want to change my subsidiary. And um, what to? To music. Well, you can't. Why can't I, said I, as an, an arrogant 19-year-old. Mm -hmm. And they said, because it doesn't timetable. Please, could you check it doesn't timetable, said I, pointing to their files. So with um, reluctance in their eyes, they did, and found it did timetable. But we don't recommend it. Music, I replied. And if I hadn't been big and strong as a 19-year-old and quite full of myself, I wouldn't be doing music now. And I say that to as many students as possible, saying, decide what you want to do Demand and go it. with it. Absolutely. Don't let somebody tell Ultimately, you you're not going to do that. Ultimately, you know better than all the rest of us who will be advising you. So, so why, were you, why were you so determined that you were going to study music? Well, both my parents were uh, absolutely loved music. And they, there was a huge amount of music in the family. And, and I happened, I was so lucky to go to a musical school, Tiffin School in Kingston, a grammar school, where the director of choral music did The Dream of Gerontius by Edward Elgar, which is a huge oratorio in St. Paul's Cathedral. In St. Paul's. In St. Paul's Cathedral. With the be I've got the poster for it on my wall. And with the best soloists of the day and with um, full professional orchestra and I remember standing up there singing go in the name of angels and archangels and being really moved by that moment so exciting <laughs> I just couldn't believe how exciting. Well, and um, and then later, I heard a choir singing some Berlioz at school, and was really taken with that. And all of that added up to me wanting to. And did do you music. always want to be a conductor, or did you want to play um, an instrument? I gradually. I I I still have a second-hand book I bought when I was fifteen, 
called the Amateur Choir Trainer. And <laughs> um, friends of mine have mocked me for it being called Amateur, but um, I, uh, um, I bought that and read it from cover to cover. And I, so clearly I wanted to then. And this was in young school, yeah, in secondary yeah, school. Yeah, this was in secondary school, um, high school. And I, I I'd wanted to be a teacher for a long time. And um, I looked at teachers with a critical eye and <laughs> and learnt a lot from what I would do and what I wouldn't do. And I've always thought as conductors that no matter at what level we're working at, I always feel like that's what we are as teachers. We are you teachers. Know, no matter how yes. highfalutin yeah. we are, yeah. we have to be teachers yeah. Yeah. At, at the bottom line. One, one of the things you've spent so much of your career doing was working at Eton College. Could you tell us, our listeners, a little bit about Eton College, who goes there and what what it is and what you did there? Well, Eton gets a lot of bad press and very little good press because it is perceived as the top dog. And when it's perceived as the top dog, everybody wants to knock it. It is a private school of which we have a lot in the UK. Um, it goes back to 1440, when it was founded by Henry VI, as for 70 poor boys. Nowadays, it is a fee-paying school, but with massive endowment to enable those who otherwise couldn't afford it to have bursaries. So while not entirely needs blind, it, we can manage to give a large number of people bursaries so that they could come here even if their parents can't afford it. And um, well, now that's interesting because I've always thought of Eton as kind of the 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 highfalutin crowd. The, you know, the princes and princesses go to Eton. I don't think of Eton. Of course, I'm not British, but I don't think of Eton as l- reaching out to. Lower incomes. That's what Americans oh, think of lots, Eden. lots of lower incomes go there. That's wonderful. And what's wonderful about it is I don't know a single one who felt ill at ease as a result. And, in fact, there's a wonderful story of one that I met on a choral course who had a very fine, a 16-year-old boy who had a very fine voice. His parents couldn't remotely afford Eton. I discovered that he wasn't happy with his secondary school. I decided in talking to him that he was highly intelligent. He had a beautiful tenor voice, so I thought, right, I'm going to try and get this fellow to Eton. I called the headmaster at the end of August, and I said, am I right that we haven't given all the six-form scholarships? He said, you are right. And I said, I've got one for you. And um, he said, OK, let's um, set up interviews. I did, and within three weeks, he arrived in September at the new term. His mother had called me to say, can I have a word? Our son is given to practical jokes and um, (laughs) he tells me that he might become a pupil at Eton. Please tell me that that's not true. And I said, that is true. What's more, he's being interviewed on Friday. Would you like to come with him because he might have to buy his school uniform as well? And he arrived. And the boys in his house were loved him really he he was very intelligent quirky fellow and they got on with him extremely well that's terrific because so much of learning is more than just in the classroom it's about being around a community and being around people and being around different people absolutely so much is learned by being with others who've got interesting 
backgrounds and interesting things to tell that are completely different than yep. yours and absolutely you that's one of my favorite parts of teaching is yeah. just building that community and we have um in my time plus a couple of years produced 13 professional conductors from the school from the in school are now who are now earning their main amount of the main amount of their salary from conducting 13 oh, exciting and then the knock on wood that is a nice thing to reach that level yeah. where yeah. <laughs> we don't have to wait I'm tables very proud anymore. of them but I'm also proud of the teachers we've produced there's some the very fine teachers um, several several of them teaching in the state sector and um, doing extremely well because they know remember from school how it was done and the main feature of Eton College is that it is a good school. That's it. Yeah, with good teaching and, mm. and good uh, About and how many students are there at Eton? 1,300. And of course, people hearing that would look at me and say, yes, it can afford to be, can't it? And I'd say, yes, it can afford to be, and it is. <laughs> it's a good school. <laughs> we need good And good the music there, though I say it myself, um, because even without me, it would have been good. Mm. Um, it, it was outstanding and um, it gave eight full scholarships per year. Gives full eight scholarship. full scholarships, up to full fees. I mean, if they can afford it, they pay. But if they can't afford it, they can go right up to full fees. Music school, eight per year. That's and very uh, difficult here. Very, very yeah. difficult to get that. That's that's yeah. special to, yeah. to have that. Do you do you have uh, any special performances from Eton? Any anything? Any favorite from Eton that you? I think probably my final dream of Gerontius. I've mentioned it before, but my final dream of Gerontius and my final Verdi Requiem were were mm. fantastic. And um, I also remember we did Tchaikovsky Fourth Symphony as in my final concert and. Uh, that one was it was entirely without staff. We we the orchestra was entirely boys, and but then various things like one boy conducted the Brahms Requiem entirely with his friends from school. You know, with singers and and he orchestra. Just put it together. Put it together. Rehearsed at other times than the main mm -hmm. rehearsal times. Um, another one conducted the Bach Magnificat, and there was a documentary made on Channel Four about him because he suffered from cystic fibrosis and. Uh, and was still able it. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's A Boy Called Alex is an amazing video. Amazing. I oh, will have to look that up. Oh, we'll do have, look it up. We'll have to look it up. You'll like it. Now, in the time that I've known you, I, I certainly have come to realize that education is really at the heart of you, yeah. who you are. I yeah. mean, you're a musician, of course, but you're yes. so passionate about teaching. Uh, particular and... Uh, for our listeners, a year ago, almost a year exactly, I traveled to London to to uh, <coughs> tag along behind Ralph, and it was work keeping up with him. Hmm. But just uh, all, all of the different age levels that you touch, even the the, the faculty that you have, your your. Uh, teaching them and le leading them to greater good, too. Would you tell us a little bit about the Pimlico program that you do? Pimlico Musical Foundation. Well, the one of the main features of British music is the choir schools and the choral foundations. The cathedrals and college chapels f found these amazing organizations for getting children, originally boys, now boys and girls, to sing in cathedrals daily, 
daily services of Evensong, with perhaps one day off a week, with professional altos, tenors and basses. And they, as a result of singing all that time, some of the children become ex highly musical adults, and all of them are up to a certain level. And um, these were the mainstay of our music scholarships because we'd give lots of music scholarships to these mm -hmm. and um, many of them in turn would, would have been supported by bursaries trouble with that it, it, it's wonderful there are very few troubles with it but one trouble is that not enough people know about it and even if they do they don't quite know of the benefits of it for their children because they haven't been through the same thing you and I would say wow what a wonderful thing to do but that's because we all know and uh, we would advise children, parents, to have a look at a choir school because the, at all the choir schools I know, the education is superb all round. And they have this amazing extra function of providing the choir for a beautiful building. However, plenty of people don't know about it. So what I've done in Pimlico is to get into all five primary schools give them all singing. Um, one of them already had it, so we supplement it in that case. And then when the children try singing and know that they can sing and love it, then they opt to join the Pimlico Children's Choir, about 40 of them, with a, with a concert every term. And if they're really good at that and want to go a stage further, they can be in the foundation choir, which sing Evensong every week at St. Gabriel's. And for that, we provide them with instrumental teaching as well. So they learn an instrument on the foundation. And the we also provide, just for that service, eight what we call teacher singers, two sopranos, two altos, two tenors, and two basses, who are professionals who like teaching, who regard teaching as one of the main things that they do in addition to their singing. And there are plenty of them about. And so we have these eight teacher singers who lead it. And um, one will happen tomorrow in my absence. And um, they'll be singing a full even song, which will be attended by people from Pimlico. And it's in its infancy. We've been going for four or five years. And um, the vicar is an accountant, a very good administrator, and so he leads it. And I want it to be a template for other places that would like to get children singing. I'm impressed with, here in Texas, the amount of singing which is on the timetable in schools. Because it, people think that this happens all over the UK. It doesn't. It doesn't I, was just, I was just going to mention that we talked about this yeah. earlier, that... Uh, there are two very different systems yeah. of music education. Yeah. And here, most of the time, the ensembles, not only chorus, but band and orchestra, they rehearse during the school days. And what yeah. you're talking about, just to emphasize for people who are listening, is outside of the school yeah. program. This, has not, right. this is a whole nother thing, which adds a whole nother dimension to it. And the, the mm. foundation that you've been able to establish is really powerful. And... and <clears throat> I don't usually do a whole lot of talking here, but being seeing the program that you did, that these these students are <laughs> from, from poor families, poor neighborhoods, 
they, they come together. I was particularly impressed when all the teachers went, divided off, went to the different schools, collected the kids from the schools, and then walked them to the rehearsal. It's, it's such a fine-tuned animal that you've got going on there. And well, these are tough kids. They had them right in a row, walking right in a row to, I mean, great discipline. Yeah. And, and just getting that word out when it's, you know, we take it for granted that it's in school. And we yeah. just have to go to school, but to, yeah. to reach out and go beyond school, that that takes a stretch, and it takes a lot to f- let people find who you are. Well, if we, I'm afraid to say, if we left it to parents to bring them, to collect them from school and bring them to us, it wouldn't happen, mm-hmm. and the lots would be late and all that because they don't quite share that kind of value of having to be on sure. time to a music practice. They'll learn it, and their children will. And often their children are the ones who drag them to things on time. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that's why we did it in that way. And uh, if music teaches nothing else, it teaches discipline. Yeah. And, and oh. it adds something Teamwork. to your life. Teamwork, Teamwork. absolutely. And we started off, when we started it off, we, you know, it took a bit of time to get them all facing in the same direction when we did <laughs> Pimlico Children's Choir. And there would be one, there's one girl who lay on the ground every now and then you know and another one who another couple who sort of hitting each other and stuff and but now you go in and see it and i think when you went in to see it the discipline was impressive yes it was very impressive and of course that's not by raising our voices at all that's by interesting them in the music so that the the whole process is a self-disciplining process i love that yeah and and now that you mentioned that there there wasn't a whole lot of corralling and giving instructions nope. and yelling nope. and the kids knew where to go they knew what the what was expected of them if and music, sang beautifully if music can't discipline us then we're doing it wrongly absolutely that's a that, that is definitely truth if you don't have discipline you can't teamwork. have music and it's teamwork and so if i have to admonish a choir i tell someone off for being late or something like that I emphasize that this isn't coming from me. It's coming from me on behalf of the team, which is the rest of the choir. So, you know, the the team deserves everybody coming on time. Yes, I like to talk about that too. You have a responsibility to all of us. Your yeah. responsibility is not to Absolutely. me. Exactly. Your responsibility is so to everybody. all these people. Yeah. And the, the, yeah. How young are the, the youngsters that start with the Pimlico program? Eight. Eight? Something like that, nine. It's a great age great way to learn and yeah. make friends oh, and yeah. come together in a community that and they wouldn't them, other ha- rather one have. of them through his mother told us that it was his beloved choir you know he, every every week he comes along and oh i'm going to my beloved choir i just love it oh you that's know, so sweet and, it, and he'd got all sorts of problems at home and um but this was a great moment in the week when he could there's one favorite them. thing yeah yeah <laughs> So we know music education. Is there music education in the private or public or state school programs? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Lots of them do, but it's it's much more sporadic. It's, it's not mandated. No, unfortunately, and we wish it were. But the it, certain schools do it well, certain schools do it badly. I mean, my old school, grammar school, Tiffin, I went to see the headmaster about, because I teach there one lesson a week still, and um, hmm. I went to see him about what I should teach. And he said, um, and he banged on for 
about 10 minutes about how good the choir was. And he was showing off to me how much they did singing Covent Garden, singing with the LPO, going on tour, doing that and, and missing, and they miss lessons right, left and center for it and, and uh, in order to go off and do these things. And he taught for a long time. I was really pleased to hear him bragging about his school's music as it's a headmaster. And he then said, so I want you to ask, I wanted to ask you how we could do more. <laughs> this is the headmaster, far from saying, oh, they're all missing their academic subjects. Oh, it's terrible. That's what we did. Can we do more? And then at the end of the interview with him, I, I, I said, right, so what would you like me to teach? Which is why I came in there in the first place. Mm. What would you like me to teach? He said, oh, whatever you like. Huh. And I thought that was supremely enlightened. He was trusting me to do something which was worthwhile, valuable, and if I liked, on the syllabus. But if I didn't, outside the syllabus. You know, that's wonderful. I think that's really... You, you didn't find that too expansive, too, too big an area to just focus no, in on something? because I, I get the boys together, I look at their syllabus, and I say, which bits of this would you like me to help with? And what else would you like me to do? And because they're so full of excitement about music, they they will say, oh, I'd like to learn more about this. And, and I'll say, well, here are various things I could do, X, Y, Z, choose one of them. Oh, Mozart, please, we love the Mozart Requiem. So, right, here we go. And I'll analyze that and talk about chord sequences and things. And, um, and they get to... So excited. the learning grows out of the performance yes. rather than out In this of case, it. they happen to be doing the Mozart Requiem, so I'm doing the Mozart Requiem with them. And, and I can talk about the Harmony, the Mozart Requiem, uh, for four hours if you want me to. <laughs> and since, the, since they're learning it, they're familiar with the piece, yeah. you're able to talk about it more yeah. in depth than Absolutely. something you've just played a recording. Now let's Absolutely. talk about it. They've been rehearsing it. That, yeah. That's a fantastic yeah. way to learn. I'd love to yeah. get on that. You've mentioned several times Evensong. Uh, I happen to be an Episcopalian and <clears> Anglican, <throat> so I understand Evensong. I conduct an Evensong once a month. But would you share for our listeners what Evensong really is and the history of it all? It really is, okay. I think, Perfect choral music. Well, it's a perfect choral experience. It goes back right the way to the old monastic orders, and there were eight of those with things like can't, some people can recite them in order, but it's a matins, nones, sect, a sext, um, and Vesper. ending up with um, vespers and compline, and um, and vespers has as a strong part of it the Magnificat, the Song of Mary, um, who sings when she is told that she's going to bear a child. And then Compline has an Unctimitius, which is uh, the old man Simeon saying, I know that I'm now going to die in peace because I have seen Jesus and I have blessed him and... and um, and I'm now departing in peace. And the joy of Mary is a beautiful contrast with the joy of Simeon, who is able, is one of these lucky people who's able to end his days in peace, in deep peace. And Archbishop Cranmer, at, at a very um, difficult time, in English politics and certainly religion, said 
Right, we're going to, uh, for our new Anglican church, we're going to have a service of Evensong, which combines Vespers and Compline. So Vespers with the Magnificat will be combined with Compline, with the Nuctimitis, and we're going to have a psalm in it every day, which will cover half of the psalms in the Book of Common Prayer. And we can have responses and we'll have an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. So with that beautiful contrast of young woman praising God because she's going to bear a child and old man praising God because he's going to die in peace, having seen the Messiah, um, together with all the Psalms and the Old Testament and New Testament reading, provide a beautiful balance, which... It was just a stroke of genius by Cranmer. And um, and you know what, of course, we did to Cranmer after that? We burned him at a stake in Oxford. And you can see it, still see the place, and it's marked with a cross of paving stones. Exact point, and I've been there several times. Whenever I go along that road, I go and just stand in quiet by that place because he was a great man and shocking that we did that to him remind remind us the story uh, i i know i can he, think of it but why um, was henry made, the eighth wasn't very nice he was made to recant all his stuff about the reformation and and having um having the services in english and all manner of things which would be changed to form the anglican church and he he had a sermon more or less written for him which he was due to deliver in the university church in Oxford. Well, he went up. It was a very dramatic time. He went up to the pulpit to deliver it, and he actually said, no, I won't do this, and this is why. And he then told exactly how it was. He was there then, as a result of that, dragged out to the High Street, uh, the, actually it's the Broad Street in Oxford, and burnt at a stake. And, um, so, so gruesome. He, he, unbelievable. I can't think, and this was, I'm pretty sure, under the reign of Mary, who uh, because things went up and down with different monarchs, mm -hmm. and um, Mary was the Catholic, right. Catholic side, so she... Um, so at that time, everybody lurched backwards, only Towards to lurch Carlton. forward again with Elizabeth, who managed to unite both sides. So you conduct many different, you have these children's choirs that are, are uh, volunteer, and then you have the, quali the college at uh, Trinity Laban. Uh, how do you keep it all balanced? And, uh, it just <laughs> happens to work in... What are uh, all the ensembles that you do? Well, um, Trinity Laban it's pronounced, actually, and it's, um, it's the only conservatoire 
chapel choir in the world. There is no other conservatoire, there's no other music college which has a chapel choir for some reason. For, so for our listeners, that would be like if Juilliard's choir performed a service every day or once a week or served in a religious capacity right. as part of their That's schooling. Right. That's right. And um, I, um, I really believe they should. And sometimes vocal departments of conservatoires look down on choir singing. I mm. passionately believe that they should not because if you're going to be a singer, you're going to be a singer. And you're the one, as a singer, to say what you want to use your voice for. And if you want to sing in choirs, then a conservatoire should help you to sing in choirs to your best. And if you, we're talking about the profession, loads of money is earned by singing in choirs, just as much as singing solos. Anyway, uh, Trinity Laban is pretty good at, at agreeing with me on good. that. Mm -hmm. so we, um, and so we have a chapel choir. And, uh, which a is, fantastic chapel choir. Thank they you. Are, thank they you. are just wonderful. They're we just sing so in the stunning chapel, Old Royal Naval College in Greenwich in London. So it's worth a visit in London. And it's kind of off the beaten path. I yes, remember when I, was, when I went there, I'd, I'd never been in that part of the city before. But it's right on the water. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. But, but not off the beaten track if, if, as in the old days, so many people visited London by coming from the, the continent of Europe by boat because you'd come along the Thames and you'd go right past it and you'd see oh, this sure. glorious chapel and the painted hall and the palace and um, um, and so you would you would know it and it's where Nelson Nelson's body was laid in state um, oh, when he'd been killed and um, anyway so I do that on a Sunday morning and a Monday even song then I go out to Queen's Cambridge on Sunday night and um, I do three occasions per week there. And then I do this Pimlico Musical Foundation and a thing called Inner Voices, which an old ex-pupil of mine founded for me to conduct when I left Eton. And that is of um, teenagers from 12 different London schools, um, which is a very exciting thing to do. And I teach at my old school, but then I also run choral courses in Shanghai and Shenzhen as well as in the United Kingdom. So I founded them in 1980 and there are four senior courses now and three junior courses. And uh, the junior courses are just starting to feed into the senior courses, which is very gratifying. And we spend a week together singing the best music to the highest possible standards with a very devoted staff who um, are all musical. Um, we don't have separate pastoral and administrative. They're all musical, and they do pastoral and administrative jobs. And I think that's something that sets them apart, sets the courses apart. And people love doing them. They love being involved with them. And anyone who's involved with them is fully involved. So the, uh, the choral courses, what, what would be... Uh Typical day. What, what what is the second day of the week? What what do they go through? They the they board. They're the ones in Shanghai go home every night. But we choose some a boarding school or or a Oxbridge College, um, St John's Cambridge or Queen's College Oxford, for example, and we board. And eight forty five, warm up, nine fifteen sectionals, uh, nine forty five. 
sorry, no, 10.15 break for coffee and then full practice after that. Um, maybe a masterclass with um, somebody. You would get the the top people coming and doing masterclasses. Yestin Davis does one sometimes. Um, um, all sorts of... So this is people. rigorous. We're not talking about summer camp here. Yeah. This is, this no, is no. a very rig- rigorous yeah. program. And each each participant, and we get around 60 or so per course, each participant has two singing lessons a week with our resident, three resident singing teachers. And they also sing in consorts, which are scattered across the timetable, and the assistant music staff help with the consorts so that they have a chance to sing in groups of 10 or 12 and sing one per part or hmm. two per part at the most. And that would be madrigals and That's that, right. that kind of thing. And, and sometimes lighter stuff, um, arrangements and close harmony and stuff. And then we will sing either with me or whoever else is directing it in perhaps Eaton Chapel. Sometimes we do a broadcast at the end of the week on Radio 3 and then... Um, We'd do a concert in Cambridge. We'd do one in perhaps in Trinity Chapel at the end of it in Oxford. We might do one in Christchurch, Oxford, and um, and then we um, and that's seven full days and singing absolutely from beginning to end. And we might do a visit at some stage as well to um, Cambridge or Oxford if it's not resident in one of those. It's actually thrilling to have, to have such a thing to, yeah. to to give to students. And from that, we have the Rodolphus Choir, which oh, sing, right, yes. which do lots of stuff and have made lots of recordings. And so the the Rodolphus Choir comes from the choral courses. courses. Yes. So yes. you're really building a community of people That's from right. you know. So you have someone start it eight years old, yeah. work all they the way through until they're in the Rodolphus yeah. Choir as a 20-year-old. Yeah. And yeah. But what is it like to have a relationship with a student? I mean, that's almost like having your own children. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I mean, you, yes. know, you have them for so yes. long. Oh, it is. It's lovely to know them from year to year. And with the senior courses, people would perhaps come on two consecutive years, but not much more than that. But with the junior courses, because they start at age eight, many of them go right up to 13, or 15 rather, and so you really get to know them one after the other. It's very gratifying, for example, to have an alto in my old Royal Naval College Trinity Laban Chapel Choir um, who was on junior courses and then this year's senior courses, and she's a very good reader and very good singer and really knows what it's all about. So it's lovely to welcome them to things like that. Well, it's it's so clear you have such a great way with people, and I, I've, I've <laughs> told you many times that I, I, I admire your relationship you have with your students and your choirs. Uh, besides the English tradition, take the English folks out of there, what repertoire are you drawn to? Bach. Um, often we do a Bach motet on the courses. We, uh, I, with Rodolphus, I often do a Bach motet. Um, the... Um, the big English stuff, backs and people, but then um, B minor mass I've recorded with Rodolphus and I've done with several groups. I provide big choirs occasionally for things like Marla 2 and mm. Marla 8 and um, I love doing that. I People perhaps 
can be forgiven for not believing this, but I love to do as I'm told for a change. You know, like <laughs> and having been, you, we all know what this is like. You know, when you're you're the boss all the time and making all the decisions and telling everyone what to do, it's really pleasant to be told what to do for a change. <laughs> and that's all and you have to. If do. you're working for a conductor <laughs> um, who will be conducting Marla too then, you know, you just do his dynamics and, and sort out the breathing and just do whatever that conductor says. And that's very pleasant. Earlier today, you taught our our first semester conducting class, and you started off the class perfectly. You, you first of all picked up the baton, which I know it's that's kind of my my own little thing that I yeah. start them with a baton. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that's then good. you said there. I don't see there's a difference between orchestral yeah. conducting yeah. and yeah. choral conducting. It's just con- conducting. It's yeah. music conducting making, music. and and that's really where I live. <laughs> Just as well. I, 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 could you talk a little bit more about that from a conductor's point of view? Of well, I um, can used to one of my jobs at Eton was to conduct the um, main school orchestra. There were several orchestras, but and it was I was so fortunate to be able to do that, and I absolutely loved it. But I was aware that my actual technique of conducting could be better, and so I went for lessons at the academy with a chap called Colin Metters. As I strode into the academy for my first lesson, I thought to myself, well, of course, this isn't going to improve my choral conducting, but it's going to improve my orchestral conducting because it, I'll learn one or two things about it. Totally wrong. It improved me across the board. It gave me a fluency of conducting, which I hadn't got before. And it just gave me... Um, an elegance of communication. Um, oh, I love the way you said that. So it's beautiful. Yeah. Elegance of communication. And because it, it should be beautiful. It yeah, just shouldn't exactly. be utilitarian. Yeah, it, and it shouldn't be jerky. It, it should be. And people read to you much better if you're elegant. And if you jerk and have hard corners in your conducting, it's, it's harder to read and it's not so pleasant to look at. Either. And it's going to sound like that. Yeah. That, that yeah. You're going to get yeah. back exactly what you show yeah. them. <laughs> so I was so pleased to, to hear you say that uh, conducting is conducting and yeah. music is music. That's yeah. one of my yeah. calling cards. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being here. This is such a, it truly is an honor to have you with us here on campus. The kids are having a wonderful time, and uh, having you here on our podcast is a real thrill as well. Thank you so it's much. It's an Ralph. enormous pleasure. Thank you very much, Jonathan. This has been Texas State Choirs Today, the podcast for all things choir at Texas State. Our show's producer is Francis Nieves. Our audio engineer is Ian Flores. And Mark Erickson is our media consultant. Thank you so much. This is Jonathan Babcock. And remember to always keep singing. <laughs>